0: You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee The Historic Church of Robert Murray McShane For more sermon content Please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk Well thank you for Praying for us earlier As it's much appreciated Um, Thank you too for a kind welcome again Good to be with you And uh, the opportunity to look uh, a little further at 2 Corinthians. And uh, so we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be thinking uh, particularly um, about what's in verses 7 through to 18, Uh, but um, we'll probably need to read in the whole chapter. And uh, since it begins, therefore, we probably need to read in chapter 3 as well, which follows on from like 1 Corinthians, so maybe go back there. And uh, let's just begin at Genesis, uh, just to get the context. (laughs) Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll read the whole chapter together. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, which is the ministry of the new covenant, the ministry that brings life, rather than uh, the old ministry of the law that brought death. uh, Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our conscience is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I have believed, therefore I have spoken. And with that same spirit of faith we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, Amen, and may God bless his word to us. Well, as we were thinking a few weeks ago when we began looking to Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is wanting to um, assure the Christians in Corinth um, what it is that kept him and his companions going in the ministry when they were there for those 18 months, and has kept them going in the ministry since. Um, And so you'll see that the chapter opens, uh, therefore since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And then in verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. So what's the chapter about? It's about not losing heart. And why it is that though they uh, preached under great uh, difficulties and trials, and though what they preached was constantly being undermined afterwards, they persevered. And didn't give up, and didn't just grow so discouraged that they just lost any heart for it at all. Uh, and didn't sort of lose the will to carry on, which is what that phrase, losing heart, means. It doesn't just mean discouragement. It just means your, your whole will to go on disappears. So last time we were looking at, at what Paul writes in the first seven, seven verses, first six verses, um, about what helped him and his companions carry on. And that was the very content of what they were preaching. And in one sense, that that is the fundamental encouragement for all Christians in all Christian work. Um, It is is what what it is that we've been given. It's the gospel itself. If if that stops encouraging us, then we will very quickly lose heart. Um, Other people won't keep us going. Our own flesh can keep us going for a while. The, 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 The momentum of routines can keep us going, but we'll have lost heart. Uh, and um, it's, it's a frighteningly easy thing to do uh, as a Christian, whether you're in any kind of public ministry or just uh, ministering God's word to the people around you, uh, basically just to kind of stop being thrilled by the whole thing. Uh, it just becomes kind of normal and it, it's what you do and, and, you know, it just doesn't really grab you a- anymore. And yet Paul and his companions just continue to be absolutely gobsmacked at the mercy of God that has not only changed them, but given them this ministry. Um, It it never ceases to amaze him. And uh, before we sort of um, look at verses 7 to to the end, the the other things that kept Paul going, it's just a question. um, Does Jesus thrill you anymore? I mean, is he just absolutely wonderful to you? Anymore? Is it really all about him? Is he just most, the most amazing person in your life? Um, do, you, do you love him? Um, or is it just all kind of gone stale and you know the gospel and you could talk about it till the cows come home but really it, it stirs your heart about as much as haggis or something or maybe even, maybe even less. Um, it's just, you know, I, the love and the freshness of that love for Jesus Is uh, the most sustaining thing. Uh, He is the most sustaining person. So it's not actually the ministry or the tasks of ministry or the work. It's him. And it's not even the things that are happening. It's not even just the things that are going terrifically well and those encouragements, because they can evaporate. It's him. Um, So as far as Paul is concerned, the things, uh, the first reason why he doesn't lose heart is, is that the gospel we've got is just so terrific, just so wonderful. It's just such a sustaining message. And uh, he's just absolutely captivated by the glory of Christ. So for Paul, the gospel is the gospel of the glory of Christ. And uh, he, is, he is taken up with the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And that sort of flows forward then into into what we're looking at this evening, seven through to the end. Because as far as Paul is concerned, uh, being able to see the, the, the glory of God in the face of Christ, having the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, is such a treasure that everything else Tails into insignificance. It is such a treasure that all the other things that he could write the story of his life with are just, they're just not the most important things at all. And uh, so as we look at um, what keeps Paul going um, in these verses 7 through 18, uh, we see that there are uh, principally... Uh, two things. The the first is the life that is within him. Uh, That is God's resurrection power, Christ's resurrection life, in him, there and then. And so, uh, he looks, if we can put it this way, he he looks at the life within him and finds the strength to carry on. And then, um, just at, at the end there, in 16 through 18, he looks ahead And he looks up, and we'll come to those, uh, God willing, uh, in in a wee while. It would be rash of me to specify exactly how long (laughs) to raise your expectations, only to dash them. So he looks um, within, not to himself, but to the very life of God within his soul, uh, and that keeps him going. So let's have a look at what he writes. We have this treasure, that is the treasure of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, the treasure that um, is revealed in the New Covenant ministry that he's got. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, he sets it up, therefore, in the first few words, with with, with two things that are going on simultaneously. We are jars of clay. What we've got is treasure. Treasure. So, there are two quite distinct things in his mind here that he's going to play out, and we'll see the terms um, in which they play out in the following verses. But let's just uh, stop there for a moment. What he's got in him, this light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ that God has caused to shine in him and his companions, this is absolute treasure to him. Now, what is your treasure? What is your treasure? Your treasure might be your children. Your treasure might be your grandchildren. Your treasure might be your home. Your treasure might be um, your, your pension. Well, that's kind of unlikely these days, isn't it? <laughs> Unless you've invested more wisely. Um, but what is your treasure? The, the treasure in, in, in the scriptures is the kind of thing you'd sell everything else to make sure you've got. Treasure is the thing which, which, the value of which in your eyes surpasses the value of everything else that you've got. So you would lose everything to keep that. That's your treasure. So the man finds a pearl of great price as he's going around this merchant, as he's going around traveling. That's his treasure. And he'll sell everything so he can get that one pearl. The man finds treasure in the field. So he goes and sells everything he's got to buy that field with that treasure in it. What is your treasure? It is the thing that is worth losing everything else. For what's your treasure? What's your treasure? I can answer that for you. Maybe you've never even thought about it. Maybe maybe you're struggling to pin it down to something at the moment, even as I ask. The question is, is it Jesus? I, mean, I, I ask this myself. I'm not, I'm not here to, to batter anybody. I'm not here to, to whack anyone's consciences. It's just, we just lay ourselves before the word of God and... and There have been many times in my life when I would have been scrabbling around for an answer, and that's the tragedy. The answer wouldn't have been there straight away. That's better. (laughs) The answer wouldn't have been there straight away, would it? Whatever else the answer was going to be, whenever I would have found it, it wasn't Jesus straight away. We have this treasure. And everything else he's got is just a jar of clay. himself, everything about him is just a jar of clay. We, we, Many of us don't have jars of clay around the house, we have a few uh, we call them pottery and ornaments and we, we, we sort of treat them with a little bit more sort of care and everything and some of them won't even go in the dishwasher um, and uh, we, we just, you know jars of clay um, then were the equivalent I suppose of something like jam jars now. now some of them would have been very big for jam jars but they were just jam jars, I mean you know you keep some for what you're going to do with the fruit you're going to go and pick or buy along the cars um, this, uh, this summer, this coming summer, but um, you don't want to keep that many and uh, the rest you're just going to chuck out. Some of them might be kind of an interesting shape but you might hang on to those because that's quite nice to serve your homemade jam in. But you know, basically you're going to chuck them out because it's, it's just a jam jar, isn't it? So is one jam jar speaking to a lot of other jam jars this evening? What is it like to be a jam jar? What is it like to be a jar of clay. What is the biblical truth? And there isn't any other kind, is there? So what, what is the truth about us as we go about ministering the new covenant, as we go about with this treasure that is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ that God himself has put into our once darkened hearts in that new creative act that Paul writes about in verse 6 that just echoes Genesis 1, 1. Well, here are the words that go along with um, jar of clay. And let me sort of preface where it's going to say that if you look down to verse 10 you'll see that they also go along with the death of Christ. So what you've got is weakness, brokenness, everything about humanity that is just absolutely given over to death, verse 11. And then the contrast, the treasure stuff, is in verse 10, works its way to the life of Christ. So treasure, verse 7 works down the sort of the, 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 the parallels, the binaries, works down to life of Jesus, and jar of clay, verse 7, works down to death of Jesus. And in verse 11, death of Jesus goes to, always oh, been going over to death, and life of Jesus goes to his life revealed in our mortal body. So you've you got, you got this sort of set of binary things that are going to work out in um, uh, 8 and 9 that have to do with us... Dying death and Jesus' life being in us. Us jars of clay and Jesus' life being put into us. So what's it mean to be a jar of clay? It means that you're hard-pressed. Um, hard-pressed is the same as afflicted. Uh, and the word flipsis um, means caught, literally caught between a rock and a hard place. It means you are being squeezed. And uh, we know what that's like, don't we? Uh, where every option seems not to work, where you can't see any possibilities that are going to work, you feel the pressure is on you, from one side and another. You can't please you, know, you can't please anybody. Um, and you know, whatever you do it's going to go wrong. You just squeeze between a rock and a hard place. Now let's just follow that line down, shall we? Um, Hard-pressed on every side, perplexed. Perplexed means um, you, 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 it isn't just that your wheels are spinning and you don't know what to do. It is that that is deeply stressful to you when you are perplexed. You're not sitting there thinking, ooh, I wonder what to do. This is really an exciting challenge. I might work a few things out here. Let's m- perplexed is when you are just anxious and it's really deep in your head and you you just... Can't see a way forward. Perplexed. Persecuted. Squeezed. Crushed. Attacked. Harassed. Opposed. Persecuted. That is when that which is against Christ. Comes against you. Because you're carrying Christ out into the world. Struck down. As Paul and his companions were physically that is always carrying around the death of Christ. But that's that's just the jar of clay stuff. That's just the sort of common thing. Over against it is treasure. Over against it, in Paul's experience, is everything that has to do with the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in his heart. So whilst they're hard-pressed on every side, they're not crushed. Uh, It gets you, squeezes you, but it doesn't break you and crush you and leave you in pieces Wrecked forever. There are times when, in many Christians' lives when we do go to pieces. But we don't stay there forever. And we are perplexed, but not in despair. So we don't completely lose hope and just in total despair freeze and make no movement Uh, persecuted so it feels like sometimes the whole world's against you and you know the flesh is against you, you know the devil's against you but you're not actually abandoned even if everybody turns away from you you're not abandoned even if your persecution makes you feel isolated, you're not actually abandoned. I will never leave you or forsake you, said Jesus. You might be struck down, injured, physically beaten, but you're not destroyed. Why? Because every one of those death of Jesus... Clay jar things is countered by the life of Jesus, verse ten, that is also being revealed now in your body. The treasure. You see, the treasure isn't just that something is important to you, the treasure works, it is functional. It's operative. Now we, we could think of, you know, a treasure being, you know, some sort of hoard of jewels and gold and all the rest of it in, in, in a clay jar. Um, but the kind of treasure that Paul is writing about here is not static and cold and metal and mineral. The kind of treasure that Paul is talking about here is life. And the thing that life does is that it works. It's doing something. Christ in you is not a static kind of treasure. Christ in you is his life in you, which is unstoppable and always beating, always working. There is never a second when Christ in you is an inert thing. It is always the life of Jesus in you. You have the very life of God in your soul every single day, every moment. He will never take it away. Nobody, nothing can kill it. It is the life, think of the liveliness of God, in you. And so, even though you are hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, and all those things are a Christian's experience, and the absence of them does not mean you're doing well as a Christian. The presence of them doesn't mean that you've done wrong and made a mistake somewhere. They are the authentic mark of being a Christian because that is the death of Jesus that you are carrying around in you. So actually it's a bit of a privilege even though that is your experience it will never ever be victorious just as the death of Jesus death was not victorious over him. Did he rise from the dead? Answer? Good. (laughs) What a relief. Good. I knew you were well taught. Did he rise from the dead? Yes. Did did death have the victory over Jesus? Different answer this time. Good. (laughs) Not get caught out by that one. So just as death did not have victory over Jesus, so when we carry about the death of Jesus in our bodies, it will not have the victory over us. Not just ultimately, which is what he's coming to, but even now it won't. Because we always carry about in our bodies the life of Jesus. And that's what's revealed in our bodies. So even though we are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, that is simply so that his life may be revealed in our bodies. So the life within you is enough to keep you going. You won't always feel that it's wonderful. Um, what, he, what he writes about what it means to be a jar of clay and having the death of Jesus carried around in, the, in our bodies and always been given over to the death, those are feelings hard-pressed on every side, is something you feel. Perplexed is an emotion and a state of your mind. Persecuted isn't meant to feel lovely. Being struck down is something you feel. Right, So don't expect... That the victorious Christian life is going to feel smiley all the time. But it does last. And it will outlast the fragility, the easy disposability. A jar of clay. We know that they had lots of jars of clay because an archaeological dig, after archaeological dig, you find broken pieces. Broken pieces. We are fragile. We know we're fragile. If you haven't learned it yet, you will. Paul is going to go on and say, it's when I'm weak that I'm strong. Not when I'm strong. So if you feel fragile, if you know yourself to be fragile, if you're having the emotions that go with being fragile The chances are that the very life of Christ is being revealed in you more than when you're feeling super strong in yourself because then it's actually your life that other people are seeing not the life of Jesus it's the life of Jesus that is seen when you're pretty broken and pretty fragile. So you see, people at work, people in, in your who are doing your course with you at, at university or whatever, people in your home, people in your family, they see Jesus most when you are surviving really tough times with some joy. They see Jesus most when you are perplexed but not in despair. They see the life of Jesus most when you're carrying around in your body death. So that keeps him going you see and uh, Because of that, he says, we believe and therefore speak. I believe, therefore I have spoken, with that same spirit of faith. We also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. And he kind of seeks through here. It's a fairly seamless flow from the present experience of the life of Christ in his soul, in his body to the future hope of eternal life with Christ. So Christ's risen life in him now, and Christ's resurrection is going to be his experience later, 14. And because he then just starts to look ahead, he begins to to write differently um, about what, what what, what stops him from losing heart. Not simply his present experience... Of having the gospel to preach and Christ's life in him, Gospel one to six, Christ's life in him, as we've just been seeing, seven following, but then he just has this third thing: because he can look ahead, and in looking ahead, look up. So therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away; yet inwardly we are being renewed, day by day, for our light and momentary afflictions. Our working for us, achieving for us, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, as it says in the authorized version, for an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So you see what he's saying there in verse 17? It's remarkable, isn't it? Our, all the things he's talking about, the, the afflictions, and they're pretty dire for Paul and his companions. They've been very painful physically, emotionally, They've raised all sorts of, of, of spiritual questions. Um, it has not been an easy thing to be a minister of the gospel. And it isn't. And he says these are light and momentary troubles. Amazing. Now, that's not because he's British. Okay. <laughs> there, is, there is an approach to afflictions which is little more than just having a stiff upper lip. And being British. And that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is not commending being a brick, which is what we Brits are. Oh, no, 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 it's nothing, it's nothing. No, it's something. Right? And don't try and tell yourself it's nothing, don't try and fool yourself. If life is grim, it's grim. And trying to do the British thing and starching your upper lip before you iron it so that it remains stiff through all afflictions is not the way to get through it. That's trying to minimize what isn't little. And it'll never work. And it's not Christian. Because it's not saying, Jesus is my life, it's saying, I'm just going to be a Brit here. I'm i sure going to be you know. Oh no, no, it's nothing mirror scratch, mirror scratch which is rubbish. It's not Christian. The Christian response is to say, I've got, yes, it is rotten. Life feels like hell at the moment. But Jesus is my life. You see, the Christian answer finds hope in Christ, whereas the British answer finds hope in being a Brit, (laughs) which is pathetic, really, isn't it, for grown men and women, And will not glorify Jesus. And actually won't get you through. When he says our light and momentary troubles. He uses the language that something that is light is is just like a vapor. It's just like a mist. And it's momentary because it just passes through. He says that because Paul lives with an eternal canvas on which his life is painted. An eternal canvas. So the afflictions are like a mist that you you reach out and your hand just goes through it. And really it is momentary. Now... Some of you who are who are younger, I mean genuinely young. I mean, we always like to think of ourselves as being young, and then the evidence just overwhelms us. Um, but those of you who actually are and have the evidence to prove it, right, you might not get this. But but when you when you reach um, you know sort of old age and uh, and its precursors, so when you hit middle age, you really you actually do. Th- Realise that your life is momentary it really has not lasted long it has gone by in a flash you don't know where it's gone but you know it has and it has been incredibly quick I mean if somebody said to me that I left university six years ago I'd believe them um, I didn't <laughs> it's a long time ago Not as long as some of you have to say, (laughs) you know. Okay. But all that means that you know even more what I'm talking about. Because even more years have gone past even more quickly. Actually is momentary. Won't be long before we're not here. And the people who who never heard of us, they won't be they won't be here for long either. But what lasts, lasts forever. And here's the thing those very troubles are themselves achieving for us the eternal glory. There's a process going on here that the more the troubles get heaped in on one side, and actually they're pretty light, they're just as light as a mist the bigger the weight of real glory on the other side. So, a little bit of trouble. Huge weight of glory. And it doesn't last for long. But every second that it lasts is an hour in eternity. A year, a decade in eternity. So that what those light and momentary troubles, what the being hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, the death of Jesus in us, what that is actually doing is that it is achieving by God's amazing gearing, for those of you who have done economics, by God's amazing levers and gearing, for those of you who like engineering, by God's astonishing accountancy, that little stuff actually works for you a huge thing. It's like a block and tackle. A little effort, huge result. So those light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we look ahead and we look up. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Isn't that a beautiful piece of ironic writing? What a brilliant, genius, little memorable thing. We fix our eyes. We gaze on something invisible. (laughs) Amazing. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, which is all the rubbish stuff, but on what is unseen. That is the eternal glory. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. It's about what Jesus has achieved by his life. Being bigger in our eyes. Than what we will lose on the way to being there. Just one thing in closing. Do you notice that for Paul, it is a resolve to think like this. It is a decision to think like this. When he says in verse 18, we fix our eyes, he's putting it in the active voice. It's not passive. Not our eyes are fixed. We fix our eyes. That is a choice that he's making. You have a choice. You have a choice as to what will seem big to you. What you will allow to dominate your vision. You have a choice as to whether what is light and momentary will be taken by you to be light and momentary. You have a choice as to whether the treasure will really be worth more than everything else. And Paul has the most amazing resolve to see things as they really are. This isn't positive thinking. This is seeing it as it really is. And may God grant us the grace to have that resolve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you um, increasingly aware as the years go by of our weakness and of the brevity of this life. Thank you that you have placed in us, by your power and by your mercy, treasure. we thank you for where we are heading and for what it will be like. And thank you that every ounce of affliction down here is itself working for us, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Help us therefore, Lord, we pray, to persevere and not to dodge the realities of what it means to proclaim Christ in this world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.